Welcome to the Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. In this podcast, we hope to demystify Parkinson's disease, looking at everything from the basics to the cutting edge. Whether you are a healthcare professional, sufferer, carer, or family member looking to learn more, leading experts Professor Baz Bloom and Professor Werner Poover will help uncomplicate the subject. Orwin presents Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to our podcast series. I'm Werner Pöwe, clinical neurologist from Innsbruck Medical University in Austria and I'm here again with my close friend and colleague Professor Bas Blom of Rabot University Hospital in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. Hi Bas, good to Hi, be with Werner. you again. Hi there. Um, we're here to launch uh, a new little feature in this podcast series which we've called the ABC of Parkinson's disease and we're grateful that Bial have been kind enough to sponsor the first round of this where we're going to discuss certain terms that are relevant for Parkinson's disease, treatment, diagnosis, management, different aspects by the letter in the alphabet. So uh, we're going to start and do that today for the first time and um, as chance has it, uh, it's going to be the letter C. Um, and there's one term, Buzz, I throw the ball at you for the C, which is continuity. Continuity of dopaminergic stimulation in Parkinson's disease treatment. Continuous drug delivery. What's, about, what's to be said about that? Well, as most people who regularly deal with persons with Parkinson's will know, is that the response to the treatment will start to fluctuate, um, oftentimes in a manner that uh, patients switch between deep off periods with a lot of Parkinson's symptoms and episodes with dyskinesias, the involuntary excessive movements. And there's a range of strategies to uh, try and um, mitigate this by stimulating the system more continuously, which is in many ways much more in the way the brain stimulates dopamine receptors in a more continuous way. One way is taking uh, doses of dopaminergic medication, in particular levodopa, more frequently. But as you know, people have to steer away from meals, so it becomes a very difficult task to manage. So there are a number of strategies to avoid very frequent intake of levodopa um, uh, and to try and stimulate the the dopaminergic system in a more continuous fashion. One is the epimorphin pump therapy. One is the other one is the intraduodenal levodopa gel therapy. And of course, a third way to do this is a surgical intervention, which is either deep brain stimulation or lesions in the brain, which are making a bit of a comeback also now with focused ultrasound. Although that is, I would say, for most people here today in the podcast much more of an experimental approach still, although it's beginning to grow in parts of the world. Well, and one should say really this big topic of trying to provide continuous stimulation of the dopamine system in the dopamine depleted Parkinsonian brain 
is is really something that has come into the foreground successively over many years as we started to use levodopa, the most powerful drug to treat the motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease. And unfortunately, levodopa is a a drug with a very short half-life, so it will only produce plasma levels for something like up to three hours. The half-life is 90 minutes per pill. And of course, as as the Parkinsonian brain loses its ways to store dopamine from exogenous sources like levodopa, we get into this into this issue of, of uh, discontinuity. And, and that's at the root, as you pointed out, Bas, of, of many problems for patients that include response fluctuations and dyskinesia. So it's really amazing to see how even with a long history of levodopa treatment, we're still battling and, and fighting with ways to mimic the physiological, more continuous tone, as it were, in the movement disorder circuitry as far as the dopaminergic pathway is, is, consi- is considered. Uh, it's really, really amazing to see how that has problem has stayed with us, but fortunately there are solutions. Um, so, and- so one of the, I was interesting to see how you felt about this. One of the studies that really changed my thinking was the work done by Jay Nutt, uh, I think, who is now retired, uh, who used intravenous levodopa, so more stable levels of dopamine in the system are hardly achievable, and yet people would still experience off periods, in particular in the afternoon and the evening, mm-hmm. which tells you that it's 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 partially the bioavailability in the half-life, but it's also the secondary changes at the dopamine receptor level. So I often tell my patients there's a range of strategies, optimizing oral therapy or one of the three advanced treatments. But what you will get and may expect is more good periods and fewer bad periods. But even with an intravenous treatment, which of course is just for experimental purposes, people will still experience off times. And I think that's always good to emphasize to patients. Very important. Having everything stable in the blood does not automatically mean that everything will be as stable uh, on the other side of the blood-brain barrier, or it will get into the brain in in that fashion. Now, another C that, of course, um, needs to be mentioned here in in our C-alphabetical discussion is COMT inhibition as one way of optimizing the delivery of levodopa and making it more continuous. and just to remind our listeners, uh, as we give levodopa, we traditionally give it from the very first epoch of levodopa as a combined pill containing levodopa plus an enzyme inhibitor, inhibiting aromatic amino acid decarboxylase in order to increase the bioavailability, which would be very low if we didn't inhibit decarboxylase uh, in this in this fashion, adjuncting carbidopa or benzerazide to levodopa. Now that's that standard clinical practice. But um, there is still, when we do this, metabolism of levodopa in the periphery, in the liver in particular, using an alternative breakdown pathway uh, via 
O-methylation uh, by an enzyme called catechol O-methyltransferase, C-O-M-T. And blocking that enzyme as well, uh, again, significantly prolongs the half-life and the bioavailability of levodopa and makes delivery more constant. Um, and I guess, Baz, it is fair to say that's, that's a first-line approach in those patients with Parkinson's that have begun to fluctuate. Would you not agree? Absolutely. As I said earlier, people, one option is to take levodopa itself more frequently, but that becomes very cumbersome. So any additional drug that prolongs the half-life uh, is definitely interesting. Uh, the COMT inhibitors have really found their way into clinical practice. Um, the availability of the advanced third-line treatments is not ubiquitous. So I think for any neurologist, the first attempt should be to optimize oral therapy. And in my practice, uh, COMT inhibitors play an important role. Um, it started the story with Tolcapone, which was then largely withdrawn because of concerns about toxicity to the liver. There are new, now two other compounds, Entercapone and the more recent Picapone, um, which are definitely ways to improve the quality of life, reduce off periods by one to two hours per day, and increase the proportion in a good on time uh, for patients with Parkinson's. Fair to say, and the, the latest we've received after Tolcapone and Entacapone is, is so Picapone, this one's daily, um, highly effective CUMT inhibitor, and double enzyme inhibition inhibiting both decarboxylase and CUMT is certainly um, a very useful approach in yeah. patients with fluctuations. We've used up our time, I'm afraid, for this for this C in the alphabet of Parkinson's. It's not the only C to speak about, but that's the only bits of C we're going to manage um, in the framework of this particular podcast. So thank you for listening in. I'm thanking again Bial for supporting this initiative. And of course, Bas, I thank you for being the wonderful partner in this conversation, as always. Can, Thank you. Can, can I be? Can I take the liberty oh, of adding one, one, one practical advice for the I'm listeners? Sorry. No, no, it's 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 important to thank Bial and and, and 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 our listeners. But I just wanted to add that when I I see lots of patients as secondary tertiary referrals, and what goes wrong oftentimes is people are started on a COMT inhibitor, and people are then disappointed because dyskinesias increase. So the off-time reduces and sometimes dyskinesias increase. And the reflex is not that the COMT inhibitor is a bad choice. It's a good choice. But sometimes you have to lower the, low, the dose of the accompanying levodopa by just a bit. So you do benefit from the prolonged half-life, but the peaks are not as sharp. So I think this is important practical advice for the many listeners who will deal with COMT inhibitors every day in their practice. Very true indeed, and there's interesting new pharmacokinetic studies coming out soon, hopefully, that again emphasize what you just said, Bas. With yeah. this, we'll thank you um, and look forward to seeing you next time around or hearing you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest discussions and help spread awareness. Follow and subscribe. You can find us on your favourite podcast platform and oroin.com. <laughs>